Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Companies podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each week, our expert arborists share advice on seasonal tree care, how to make your trees thrive, arborists' favorite trees, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more, because here at the Talking Trees podcast, we know trees are the answer. This week, I'm joined by David Horvath. He's a sales arborist for the Davy Tree Expert Company in Lake Bluff, Illinois, north of Chicago, and right on the water. Is that right, David? That is correct. How are you today, Doug? I'm doing great. Well, listeners can't see this, but in the background, David has a sign that says Arbor Lane. Now, I thought it was like something made up from a specialty store, but that's not the story, is it? No, it is not. We were at a flea market last summer um, at the Walworth County Fairgrounds. It's a big deal. So they had buckets of street signs, and I was just going through there looking for either my name or my son's name, and I saw Arbor Lane, and I mean, how can you not purchase that? So I didn't even barter. bought it for what it was, and up on the wall it went. My colleague's a little nervous because I have it held down with thumbtacks, but... It's been up there for a year now, and it hasn't gone anywhere. So so far, so good. <laughs> exactly. You know, uh, today's topic's pruning. Before we get to that, though, when I looked at the map at where you're at, does being right on the lake, does that change your climate, or does that have any kind of influence on what you're doing as an arborist? It, it does. You know, we're a little bit milder, I would have to say, in general, because of that lake. So springs tend to be a little slower to, to get going sometimes, um, that buffering effect. A lot of times we get spared from big, significant winter snowstorms. Um, something will be coming towards us, and boy, as soon as it starts getting closer and closer, it'll break up. And so, you know, there's good and bads. I know for the last couple of years, we've had some really extensive droughts. Uh, last year was just abnormally dry, but uh, in 21, it was extremely dry. And as every system approached us, it would just fall apart. And that's largely due to the lake is what I've always heard. So let's get into pruning. And this yeah. pruning is a mystery to me. First off, let's talk about why we're pruning now and what we are pruning now. Sure. The, the biggest thing that we're pruning right now are oaks and elms, by and large. And that, that for a large part of that, it's really to prevent diseases or the spread of diseases. Um, and, you know, some of the advantages of it, though, if we look outside of that trying to control disease, is we can see the structure of the tree really easily. So if we're pruning to identify poor structure, ah, what a great time without the, the leaves disguising everything. Is every pruning job different or or do you see a lot of the same things like let's just take an oak for in general like yeah every time you look up there is there something new or are there like a series of oh, these are one of the four things we always see you know i would say there's there's some patterns that we see so you do get some generalizations um what can make a difference is different obstacles different scenarios where the guys are going to be working aloft um obstacles that's a huge thing and, and that leads to a variety of pricing what the guys have to work around or protect for a homeowner whose feet are on the ground and i i must yep. i must <laughs> say that again your feet are on the ground do not leave the ground if you have to leave the ground you call an arborist you call an expert but could you talk a little bit about just the technical 
things about pruning. Let's say that they've learned what needs to be removed, and we'll talk about that. But a lot of times I see people and they'll cut a branch that's too big right next to the the trunk of the tree and it'll, it'll rip off bark and stuff. So discuss that a little bit. Yeah, so bigger branches, there's a lot of weight. So, you know, if, if you look at it from almost the mechanics of it, if you if you don't have the ability to hold the branch with one hand as you're making a cut, just the weight of that is going to tear that bark off. So there's different steps that, you know, the, the workers take. Um, one of them simply is called a, a three-step cut, or sometimes it's called a jump cut. Um, and that prevents that tear out from the bottom of the branch. Um, and, and quite honestly, I think what everybody overlooks is just the weight of the branches they're being worked with. I, I hear that all the time. You know, it's it's just that limb. I don't understand why it's going to take so long to, you know, take that off. And from the ground, it might look like it's, you know, four inches in diameter, but in reality, it's maybe six, eight inches in diameter, and the weights are are incredible. You know, people can maybe relate by picking up a two by four, but when we're pruning oak trees, that's a really, really dense piece of lumber in a sense. That's a loft. So, so you're kind of cutting away first from the tree. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, we do an undercut first, okay. and then beyond or outside of that undercut. We're going to cut through, but as that branch starts to go, it's going to start to break, and then that tear or break is going to meet the undercut. I get it. And then it's going to come off. And then what you have left is a stub, and then that stub is going to be your third final cut. You can hold that typically with your hand, um, and if you can't, you know, if you're using a chainsaw and you have both hands on that chainsaw, which you have to have. The, the piece is still small enough that there's not enough weight that it's it's going to tear off at, at the base. And, and we leave, you know, some people have heard the term a branch collar. We leave that intact. We don't take it right up flush to the trunk. So, yeah. What would you say there? A quarter inch or does it depend on the you know, tree? It, it does depend on the tree. It What can be really interesting is with our oak trees, if they haven't been pruned in let's say a decade or more oak trees hold on to their dead branches for a very long time so sometimes that branch collar each year it's that tree what it's trying to do is it's trying to grow over that entire dead branch so we'll have branch collars sometimes that are 12 inches away from the trunk okay and we only cut up to that collar so there are some instances where it can look really weird people think oh you left some huge stubs up there but we actually just went to that branch collar. And, and it's important you you keep that intact because that's less energy the tree has to expend to close that wound over. When do I know if I should be pruning it or you should be pruning it? If you have to go on a ladder, we should be pruning it. That that is uh that's my number one rule. It it is dangerous. People think they can handle it. You know, I, I do sales. I don't even own a chainsaw anymore. I know and respect the people that do the work for me. It is dangerous work. They're getting training every day on safety protocols. And I listen in. But just because I don't do it every day, I I have a, I have a wife and a kid that are more important than saving money. And I think we've all seen friends and acquaintances doing dumb things. You know, no. it, it's 
leave it to the experts, please. Let's talk a little bit about, I look at pruning from the outside as art and science. Mm-hmm. Do you look at it that way or, or are you looking at it differently? There, there is definitely a degree to it. Um, and, you know, with tree workers, you, you almost have two camps. You know, there's, there's the guys that have a real artistic eye about it. And there's guys that have a very scientific approach to it. You know, maybe there's not as much artistry there, but everything they're doing is for a very specific reason. And then you have the guys that, that blend the two together. And I really like it if you can blend those two together. Is there any way to, to, without seeing an illustration, to generalize pruning small trees like a crab apple or something like that? Or do I, or do I need a, a, a demonstration or do I need an illustration? I would say to answer that, it, it really comes down to what is your objective with, with pruning, let's say, a crab apple? Is your objective to keep it a natural form? If your objective is to keep it a natural form, you really don't need an illustration. At that point, what you're doing is you're going to target pruning out the dead branches. After pruning out the dead branches, you're going to then target branches that are maybe broken, maybe have an injury to them. Maybe they have a disease canker. You want to do that kind of sanitation prune first. And then really, then you're after that, you're looking at, do I have branches that are crossing and, and maybe directly rubbing against each other where that's causing an injury as well? So natural is what I prefer. I, I think that's how trees are, are most happy. If you're going outside of that, then you might need some reference. If you're starting to look into maybe a practice of topiary where you're creating a very specific shape for a, a design element. Can we discuss the horticultural horror of topping trees? Um, well, we don't do it. Nobody should do it. Um, but yet I, you know, I see it. I see it. I, I, it we see it all the time. It drives me crazy. And yes, it is. Um, you know, acutely, you don't really see necessarily the, the consequences to people that, that top trees it, it pushes out a lot of times with vigorous sprouts and to the layman, it can look really nice, especially in the summer. You know, it's all of a sudden it's thick and green again and the, the tree is half its size. But in winter, it, you know, it looks like broom heads up there. You know, you have just this long branch with a, a broom head at the top. And But where all of those sprouts force from, they're weakly attached. So, you know, a lot of times people top because they're maybe they're apprehensive or worried about the height of the tree and they think it's going to fall apart in a storm. But once you've topped that tree and it forces all those sprouts, now you've really increased the likelihood of storm damage. You get ice or snow and all those sprouts, they, it really, you know, you're, you're moving your center of gravity out to the end as soon as those sprouts emerge and you get any weight on there, whether it's snow or ice, now you've increased the likelihood of failure. When you come onto a property that has been, in, let's take for instance, improperly pruned maple, mm-hmm. it has that like broom-like look up there. Yep. Can it be saved by a good arborist, or is it? It, it can, but it's really a. It's really we're asking for a lot of patience from the homeowner. Um, we're so used to everything getting taken care of in, in one step, but the process of restoring a crown after it's been topped realistically is three to five years, sometimes even more than that too. And it's a slow process of selecting out 
some of those sprouts, leaving some. In some cases, we have to reduce those sprouts a little bit. But that tree long term is always going to have to be monitored. We're always concerned about that point of attachment where those sprouts, those sprouts arise from or arose from. Um, they tend to be weaker in nature. Well, that makes me feel good. Now, I've told the story a couple of times on the podcast. My son buys a new house. The first day where they're visiting, you know, everybody's inside looking around. Well, I'm out in the, you know, looking at the trees and stuff. There's a guy that was coming every year and topping the maple. <laughs> and I, I go on a 20-minute tirade that almost makes my daughter-in-law start crying. <laughs> and I, I said, the tirade isn't isn't about the, the, the tree damaging your property or anything like that. My tirade is that these poor people before you were being taken. It was, it was a chuck in a truck. It wasn't a certified arborist who has a code of ethics. Then I go walking the babies through the neighborhood. This guy's working through the whole neighborhood. It, it really is. I just, I just, it drives me nuts. Um, that this can happen, that people get suckered into this and just speak for a minute about having a certified arborist and this code of ethics. Yeah. So it is, it is important. Certified arborists are not going to sell through fear. And, and that's what a lot of these guys out there are doing that aren't certified in the industry. They're selling through fear. They're not looking out for the long-term relationship. They're, they're just there to collect, Usually, a lot of times it's cash. Um, so, certified arborists, we're trying to bridge that relationship between trees and people. We're, we're really kind of like the Lorax, right? The trees don't have tongues. We speak for those trees. Um, and that's a huge benefit of hiring someone that's accredited or that's certified. David, I think I need to have a t shirt made with that saying on there. That's pretty good. <laughs> hey, that's a good thing from the Lorax. That's a very good quote. So So we know that we're pruning, you know, elms and oaks because we don't want to prune them during uh active growth because of diseases. Yeah. But are there things that flower in the spring that we shouldn't be pruning that we might lose our flowers? So, yeah, if if your goal is to retain as many flowers as possible, then, you know, that argument can be made for for scythia, for lilacs, for magnolias. If we prune them in the winter, whatever we're taking off, if there's a flower bud there, well, we've removed that. Now, it's not going to harm the tree. We're really talking about aesthetics here. So sometimes, you know, it, I guess a, a flowering pear would be a really good example of here's a spring flowering tree. But that's another one that we're adding to the list of oaks and elms. We don't want to prune those during the growing season, at least in the Chicago area. We have a lot of pressure from bacterial diseases that are now affecting our pear tree. So winter's an ideal time. And you know what? We're not topping the tree, so we're not removing all the flowers. We're going to be thinning the tree and taking all deadwood. So you're still going to have a pretty good flower show. And I remember being in school. That was something that was really promoted. Hey, if it, if it flowers in spring... You better wait until right after flowering. But that, to me, really applies. If you're out there shearing, then then you're going to lose all the flowers. But by and large, we don't we don't shear. I mean, the only application where I can think shearing might be appropriate is really the the system of topiary, where you're pruning something into a goofy shape or a desirable shape. That's where shears really belong. But outside of that, 
I really can't think of good instances where shearing is really beneficial for the plant. I mean, even on topiary, it's not beneficial to the plant. It's beneficial to us as homeowners for a specific objective that we have. But to the plant, it's it's not beneficial. What about that topiary? You know, I'm I'm from your school. I, I want my plants to look natural, but yeah. I, I see meatballs and I see weird things. And, and then, you know, at, at public gardens, you see fancy topiary. Yeah. From a arborist point of view and the health of a plant, does, is, how does topiary fit in? So what topiary does is you're, you're, you're cutting indiscriminately the leaves, the stems, the branches, all at the same plane. And, you know, when we're doing a high dose of pruning, what, what we forget is that high doses or high percentage of live growth removal promotes growth. So below that shearing cut, we get a proliferation of sprouts. Well, if you can kind of imagine in your head, if you hold out your hand, that's kind of a coarse structure. But if you were to, you know, cut the tips of your fingers off, and then if you imagine that under each cut, you get five more fingers that form. Now you have this really thick layer on top and it's coarse underneath. And what that does is it almost creates like a tarp over the plant. So within that, you have almost a, a greenhouse effect. It gets very humid. It gets very warm. And those are the conditions. And it's also shaded. So those are conditions that are very favorable for disease development. So I always think of boxwoods. Boxwoods typically in a landscape are sheared. And that's where we start to see a lot of issues, whether it's a, a volutella disease or it's boxwood blight coming coming in there because we've created an environment that's conducive to that disease. Let's talk a little bit about tools and the importance of having sharp tools when you're doing this work. Uh, sharp tools are critical. Also, the right tool for the right application is critical. You're not going to use a chainsaw or a pole saw on something that's the diameter of your index finger because that's too large of a tool and you're going to tear it. So on, you know, smaller things up to three quarters of an inch, a lot of times that's going to be a bypass pruner. So it makes a really clean cut. Once we start getting larger than that, we start going to hand saws. And then if it's a really big diameter thing, you know, maybe larger than six inches in diameter, that's where a chainsaw is appropriate. And again, if you're using a chainsaw, call a professional. I, you know, homeowners think it's okay to reach over your head. Should never be done. I mean, very scary stuff there. And the fact I've, I've done some podcasts about safety and the fact that the arborist that's using a chainsaw is wearing all sorts of special gear, including a pair of chaps. You know, yes, a chainsaw is so dangerous. I'm like you. I don't have one anymore. But, you know, in your in your 20s, you think like, oh, yeah, I should have a chainsaw. You know, I'm not going to pay to have this done. It's ridiculous. You know, I, I think, I you know, I think uh, <laughs> men in general. Right. I think we tend to be guilty of having the uh, Tim Taylor from Tool Time Complex, you know, and we start to grunt when we see a chainsaw and you can't react fast enough for when a, things go wrong with a chainsaw and. You, you hope there's a, an emergency room close by if it does go wrong. Now, when you guys are pruning, is there any application where you have to, you're, you're afraid the tool might pick up something from one thing and go to another? What do you, how do you deal with that? 
Absolutely. So if we're removing in winter a an elm tree that was infected and killed with Dutch elm disease, well, we have that pathogen on the chainsaw. So you're really left with two choices. You can do a 70%, you know, alcohol solution and spray down the bar and let that evaporate. The other one is a bleach solution, 10% bleach. I'm not a huge fan of bleach just because, boy, you start bleaching your clothing and tools start rusting. You got to have a lot of WD-40 to make sure things aren't rusting apart. So I'm a, I'm a bigger fan of, of the, you know, the alcohol for sanitizing tools. But yeah, that's a really good question. Very important. Oh, I'm a big fan of alcohol, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Fridays are about, I think. <laughs> uh, before I let you go. I want to ask a little bit about your job and, and how you got into it. How, how was this job right for you? Um, I have been in the green industry since, gosh, it was, I want to say I was a freshman in high school. And because I lived in the state of Wisconsin, you know, it's considered agriculture. So they didn't care what age you were, I think. And uh, I really developed a passion. My, my boss as a, as a kid, such a wonderful horticulturalist and that really sparked my interest into this initially i was i was going to go into more of the landscaping realm but you know probably 25 years ago i was snow plowing at two in the morning and i thought i don't want to do this the rest of my life and i saw a posting when there was that job service called monster and it was for a position out east and i spent 10 years out east in new york and that was like a classroom out there for learning insects and diseases and trees. And I, I tell you, within that first week of, of working in the field of arboriculture, I never looked back. I love what I do. And, and coming back to the Midwest with the family and working with Davey, this is where I'm going to retire from is Davey. I mean, I love this company. I love my job. It is, and, and I get to be a professional that, educates my customers. It's not about meeting a quota or a contest. It is about doing what is right for the customer and everything else falls into place. So I'm able to keep my ethics. I sleep well at night. And you know, if I don't have something that fits for the customer, that's okay. I want them to learn and something might happen in the future where they remember that situation or that experience with me. But you get a lot of referrals that way when you're just honest and you tell a person, look, I don't think there's anything we need to worry about right now. And that's a that's a really good feeling. Well, David, I'm going to leave it right there. That is great stuff. Thank you for schooling us on pruning, too. And My I pleasure. know I know we will talk again soon. Thanks so much for your time. That was fun. Thank you, Doug. And I look forward to speaking with you again. Arbor Lane. He's got the Arbor Lane sign up there behind him. I love it. Thanks again, David. You're welcome. Have a good afternoon. Tune in every Thursday to the Talking Trees podcast from the Davy Tree Expert Company. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Do me a favor. Subscribe to the podcast so that you'll never miss a show. And next week, we have a very special episode highlighting some of the cool work Davy Arborists do, including using their climbing skills to set up a bald eagle camera. I can't wait for that one. And if you've got an idea for the show or comments, send me an email to podcasts, that's plural, at davy.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at D-A-V-E-Y.com. And as always, we like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer. <laughs>